This is the PMC Podcast with Kristen Brandt and Bill Alfano. The Pan Mass Challenge, raising money for life-saving cancer research and treatment at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Now here's Kristen Brandt and Bill Alfano. You're listening to the PMC Podcast. This is Kristen Brandt, and I am here with my co-host and the executive editor. I should say you get not enough credit for all the editing you have to do, Bill Alfano. I get, you know, there's a pay level for each of the hats I wear during this process. They're all equal. They're all equal. Have we added this to your card? I should. My card's long enough. Director of Marketing and Strategic Partnerships. (laughs) It should fold. It could be like an accordion. Yeah, it's an accordion card. What were those things when you were a kid? You used to do the finger thing. The lucky, they were like a fortune teller. Yeah, yeah. Yes. By the way, they still do them. Oh, those are great. So those that are great. is a good thing about childhood that we have not lost. The That's good. Color. All right. So what are we doing today? Today's guest, Kurt Power. He is an Iraq war veteran. He's a Purple Heart recipient. Um, he served in Iraq in Ramadi um, in some of the most intense fighting. He was there 2005, 2006. He was shot in the chest by a sniper. Um, There's a lot here, but Kurt is very active in the community back home when it comes to veterans, suicide prevention, and and other causes. And so we wanted to bring him in and talk about uh, cancer, the role cancer plays in the veteran community, even active duty community. So I reached out to him. He doesn't have a direct PMC connection other than the Red Sox Foundation. We all kind of know each other through the Red Sox Foundation. Um, He's a big fan of the PMC. I'm a big fan of him and what he does. And I thought he'd be a really interesting interview. As we're recording this intro after the interview, Kristen, is it okay if I say he's a really interesting interview? I would say he's an uh, another uh, he's an astounding person. Yes. You know, and I and I have to say, you know, um, I've done podcasting for a long time. The interviews that we've had to do through this podcast are unlike any I've ever done. The level of commitment and I just remain and strength. The, the number I, of I mean, chills. think of some of the people we've talked about. Just internal strength. Oh, I'm regularly either have chills right. or I'm in tears or so it's you know, they're all everyone's been extraordinary, but this interview in particular was just very powerful, really got me thinking. Um, right. We do want to give a little bit of a listener warning that yes. there are some mature themes in this one. Yeah, he did We're not hold about, back. He, you know, he, he really talked didn't. About, We're talking about war. We're talking about death. We're talking about the long-term health impacts on our soldiers. I don't think we want to take any more away from no. it, but I did want to make sure... We wanted to make sure everyone had that warning. Um, so if you have little ears around, you might want to wait and listen to this later. Okay, we are here with Kurt Power. Thank you so much for joining us, Kurt. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's start with just having you introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? I'm a regular guy that has a, the opportunity to serve his country overseas, continue to serve my community after the war, Honestly, just a true believer as a whole. Are you active service now? Are you serving now? Are you? I joined the military after 9-11. And I actually, um, I got out after getting uh, shot by a sniper overseas, fighting on the ground in Ramadi in 2005 and 2006. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, let, me, let, um, me just, let me just read this, um, Kristen. And because uh, little I know Kurt and what I've heard already, he's, he's not going to 
it's not going to really I feel like we're going to have to like pull yeah. up. Oh, I, I, I have a feeling not. we're going to get a lot of great information from him when he gets to talk about everybody else but himself. So let me, I'll just read this. Kurt Powers, an Iraq war veteran, Purple Heart recipient, and military order of the Purple Heart State Service Officer for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He's a patriotic American. He joined the U.S. Army after 9-11 to do his part in de defending his country in the war on terror. Power fought some of the heaviest combat of the war in Ramadi, Iraq in 2005 and 2006, where he served as a vigilant hunter, conducting military operations on urban terrain to hunt high-level Al-Qaeda Al -Qaeda operatives. Despite frequent firefights, surviving multiple IED blasts, taking heavy casualties and being shot in the chest by a sniper while on a reconnaissance mission in 2005, Power still says the hardest part of the war was coming home. Though hard work and perseverance, Power was fortunate enough to make a successful transition back to the civilian world, but continues to help fight for veteran in crisis everywhere and hopes one day to end veteran suicide epidemic. Kurt, I, you know, thank you for your services and enough, but I will say it and I mean it. Reading your bio, reading that information about you is incredible. So we're really lucky to have you on today. I know you do like to position yourself as a regular guy. Not many regular guys I know uh, have all those things uh, in a bio. So I'll leave it at that because I know accolades are not what you're looking for, but I personally appreciate what you've done for this country and, and for me and my freedom. So thank you very much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I know uh, I will just say what he said because that I would not go with uh, just a regular guy, but I do appreciate everything you've done and our ser your service to our country. So let's talk about what you're doing now. Okay, so post-military, I am now a police officer. Been on the job about 12 years with the transit police and I've been in the Youth Violence Strike Force, which is the Boston Police Gang Unit for the uh, last four plus years. Wow. And when did you get involved with the PMC? The connection through PMC is, uh, is pretty great because it's total greater good stuff with the Red Sox Foundation being like the actual sponsor. I've been doing work with the Red Sox Foundation, volunteering over there for years. I went through the home base program and uh, have done what I can to pay forward by helping other veterans in crisis. I believe Kurt and I met, was it at a Red Sox Foundation? Was it the Scholars event? Is that what it was? Uh, you know what? Was it the, I think, um, was it the Scholars or was it uh, Fenway Honors? Fenway Honors. You're 100% right. And we just kind of struck up a conversation, Kristen, and I really admired his work and the organizations he works with. We started talking about PMC and we've kind of stayed in touch. So there's not a true direct connection. Um, this was much more about just two organizations or various organizations trying to do really good and make an impact. Kurt had some and continues to have some real kind words, but also support for what the PMC does. So the connectivity isn't, isn't maybe as direct as some of the other guests we have on, but from a action standpoint and a doing good standpoint, we thought it was really valuable to get together on this and, and kind of talk about cancer and veterans and the, the Dana-Farber and then branch off kind of into where the PMC's role and, and things like that. So setting the stage a little bit, you know, I, I did some looking up beforehand, you know, I'm seeing a, a minimum 40,000 
veterans a year are getting diagnosed with cancer, at least through the VA. And I'm sure that number is conservative based on if, if you're a veteran and your diagnosis isn't through the VA, it could be somewhere else and it might not be accounted for. Uh, so I'll leave that there. Kurt, I don't know if you want to jump in and kind of talk about the, the role cancer diagnosis plays, both the active duty members as well as, you know, people who have been honorably discharged. Um, and, you know, I'm reading that 20 years later from a lot of active duty is when these diagnoses are taking place. First off, I, I think all the work that uh, you're doing with the PMS Challenge is amazing. Uh, super inspirational stuff. Lisa Hughes has been a big platform for it, and, and a lot of us have been privy to it as a result. So it's definitely on my bucket list for sure. I think actually one of the biggest issues we have right now in the veteran community is cancer. I have a personal connection because not only um, did my father-in-law die of prostate cancer a few years ago, but, uh, you know, not to drop it on you guys, but, you know, it ties in because um, one of the guys I fought with in Iraq, you know, he actually is terminally ill with colon cancer, and um, it's been attributed to uh, burn pits. So what we're seeing is, um, listen, like none of us were ever worried to to die overseas. I mean, I, I got the side of my chest blown out and I was on the operating table and, uh, you know, I, I had no regrets knowing that I was probably going to die for my country. But there's nothing more heartbreaking and we're seeing on a regular basis our veterans serving our country and surviving and then dying back home because of, you know, what they've been exposed to overseas. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's heartbreaking to see, you know, this kid's a warrior, fought in Iraq, fought in Afghanistan, sniper, Purple Heart, Bronze Star recipient. What we had been through in Ramadi in 2005 and 2006, and then what he had been through in Afghanistan after, after where we lost some more of our friends. It's absolutely heartbreaking to know that he received a call from the VA about Basically, hey, we're sorry to tell you, uh, you have stage four colon cancer and best case scenario, three years to live. That was three years ago. That was three years ago and he's terminal, he's continuing to fight, but it's absolutely so heartbreaking for all of us to know that like so many American heroes that have given so much for our country then are dying from a disease that has already taken so much from families around the world. It's just, no one knows, you know, no one, no one family hasn't been impacted by cancer. For it to hit our family, the veteran community, as hard as it is, not only, yeah, is it horrific, but I can tell you that it's, you know, it, it scares everyone because we know that 87% of veterans in Iraq and Afghanistan have been exposed to these burn pits. You know, it, it really, it's like a game of survivor where, you know, who's next? Who's next? Once again, it, it, I felt it was easier to lose, you know, men and women overseas than to lose them at home because of potential exposures. This is, this is really the biggest concern we have right now in the veteran community is not only getting men and women screened sooner, getting them the best care possible. And we all know that absolutely is at Dana-Farber. He actually 
he actually drives down on a regular basis from Vermont, and that's where he is uh, going through dialysis. I, I don't think for a minute, you know, if it wasn't for the life-saving care there, that he would be as he would be alive as long as he is. You know, not only am I thankful for that, I think it's something that, you know, many veterans and many leaders in the veteran community really just think this is going to be our generation's Agent Orange and that this is really just the tip of the spear, that we all bonded together to fight terrorism, but now we need all hands on deck to work together to fight cancer. And I think, you know, not only is it amazing, like, all the funds and awareness that you raise through the pain mass challenge. But I think essentially breaching a topic that is so painful for every family, everyone knows and kind of presenting it with this positive energy, uh, I think is unbelievable. And I think that's why all of us want to be a part of it to know you're doing what you can to try and make a difference on any level. Once again, when I had seen, like the formal check presentation for this last year. I was absolutely blown away about how unbelievably successful this program has been. Let's take a step back. I want to talk about what are some of the, let's say, unique challenges for former military and, and active military who receive a cancer diagnosis? I think the most unique thing really is that in a lot of occupations, you can potentially keep doing your job right? Like we're all true believers. It's an all volunteer military. We've all, you know, signed up to fight to think that, you know, we could take such a major part of our team out of the game, even if things go successfully, right? Like even if they are a survivor, treatment is so absolutely taxing, you know, majority of the time, we can't expect them to fight a war on two fronts, right? Like internally and externally. And yeah. how about um, access to care? I mean, how, what are some of the, the challenges? How, does, how do they work the, with the VA versus working with Dana-Farber? Like, what are some of the, the challenges we have? I think there's a lot of challenges on our end because not only is there like a macho mentality a lot of times in the military, like, hey, I don't need to go to the doctors. I don't need to get screened. I don't need to get checked. And that's why this is so important from an awareness standpoint. Dana-Farber is the gold standard as far as uh, any of us are concerned for cancer care. I do think that is, you know, the VA is making strides by the day, but when it comes to something like this, like we believe in deferring to the subject matter experts. And I think that's important. So Kurt, I was just looking this up as, first of all, I was trying to find a word to not use heartbreaking because you used it and I, I couldn't come up with one, you know, chilling kind of also in, in a whole nother sense. So I was just reading something. It's on Onco, Onco Link. It's an oncology site, and it talks specifically, um, and I think it really sums it up. It, it, you know, it says, as the veteran population continues to age, this number will continue to rise. This is an unexpected risk of military service. A soldier likely doesn't think about his or her risk of developing a life-threatening cancer 20 years later as a result of exposure to chemicals or radiation. And it goes on to say, Really, it started in World War One with nitrogen and sulfur mustard, and then World War Two with radiation. That, and then it just went forward. It talks about what you said. It mentions Vietnam and Agent Orange, and then it brings up the Gulf War, and it talks about higher risk of lung and brain cancers in particular as a result of nerve gas, smoke from burning oil wells, pesticides, etc. For someone who didn't serve, can you just 
maybe give a little explanation of, of a, a burn pit, the term itself, that it would be great to kind of, I think I know what it is, but there's nothing worse than thinking you know what something is and, and then being completely wrong. Sure. You know, I think it's so hard for a lot of us that think that we might not make it home when fighting terrorism. And that's all right. We believe in the greater good. We're there to make a difference. But, you know, there's nothing more tragic than then coming home to find out essentially that you were killed overseas and you didn't even know it by the chemicals you were exposed to with the burn pits over there. And essentially what burn pits are, are there these giant piles of trash, acres upon acres of like, you know, military equipment and trash and human waste and covered in diesel and, and jet fuel, which are known cancer-causing agents. Essentially, they're burned in place because, you know, it, it's stuff that we take for granted back in the United States, but you have to get rid of that stuff over there somehow. Releasing it in the atmosphere, we're all breathing it in. It was never a huge priority when I was kicking doors overseas or uh, we were shooting it out thinking about how clean the air was we were breathing. But now that we're home, getting older, it's a, it's a huge concern. It's that much scarier knowing that essentially like it's the enemy that you can't see and that a lot of our battle buddies realize that they've been exposed after it's too late. Once again, these football-sized flaming trash dumps releasing chemicals in the air, well, 87% of us fighting in Iraq in Afghanistan, just trying to make a difference and hopefully make it home, are being exposed to this in the process. Not just our veterans overseas, from chemicals that have been used for generations on military installations. We're seeing huge spikes lately in cancer diagnosis. Air Force bases specifically, some of the chemicals that have been used in previous generations, and they're still inhabiting those areas. And the, it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's painful to see that as tough as cancer is, anyone could get it. And there's so many types that a lot of the cancer we're seeing, you know, from Vietnam to now could essentially on some level have been avoided, right? Like life is tough and it can be unpredictable, but you'd never want to think that because we weren't careful with the chemicals we were utilizing or the waste that we're getting rid of that we could ever accidentally kill an American hero. You know, we don't know enough about it at this point, but we know we have to do more to keep like the brave men and women who fight for our country safe. So one article I was reading said that the VA established a voluntary burn pit registry and that 180,000 people have signed up for it, just to give us all some perspective on this piece of it. And as you said, there's chemicals that have been used for generations, you know, for years that, sh that maybe we're not using in a residential, you know, because we've acknowledge that they're problematic, that it sounds like you're still using on the basis. It also reminds me a bit of, not even a bit, totally of when Jon Stewart testified to Senate about the, the brave officers that ran into the buildings during 9-11 and now have all these cancers, diagnoses, they're dying of cancer and, and the funding for it. So I guess my question is, you know, I don't want to pick on the VA. I know it has its challenges, but how do we address or how is it being addressed the funding for treatment or, or are soldiers being treated? Because something I'm reading saying that like the, the victims aren't necessarily being accepted is that their cancer is related to these burn pits. I think a lot of us feel betrayed.
The PMC Podcast is supported by Sundance Sports Marketing, putting your ideas into action at sundansports.com. Betrayed because if an American hero gets cancer because our country was negligent when they were fighting overseas, and we're definitely seeing that in a lot of cases, not only should we own it, but we should make sure that they get the best care available. I think modern day, a lot of times what we're seeing is more trying to sidestep from a liability standpoint, opposed to step up and say, this is on us and we'll do what we can to make a difference. I think that a lot of us are feeling that we're getting a runaround from not only the government, but the VA as far as what applies, what doesn't, disclosing the, the actual true numbers that essentially they were the ones that hired these independent contractors to properly dispose of these materials. And a lot of, a lot of times there were incinerators, we know it's, it's out there in place to properly dispose of these and they just were not used. Um, it's absolute negligence, it's killing heroes and there's no legal recourse whatsoever. And that is really the tip of the spear right now People like, like my buddy Wesley are fighting. He basically said to me recently, if before I die, if I can just make you know, the difference for one family that doesn't have to go through this, right? You know, his family watching him die and knowing it's the case and knowing that the government is not going to take accountability. All we want is them to admit what they've done and help these veterans get the care they deserve, period. I don't yeah, think I mean, it's too much to ask. It, 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 it's gut-wrenching to hear this. It is, um, you know, the frustration level <laughs> in me right now is um, it's almost to the point of not professional. How do we possibly treat our veterans like this? Like the fact that you said, I'm willing to die. I was willing to die. And so were so many other heroes that men and women who enlist and serve, willing to die on the battlefield for what I believe in and for my country, um, and then to come home and be treated well to find out years later that, man, this avoidable thing is now going to take my life. It, it's still, I'm still on the battlefield is basically what you said. And it is, you know, my hair is standing up on my arm on that one because that just brought it, it made it so real and it's so true. You know, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you know him at all, but uh, Drew Wallace from the um, Boston Fire Department, he, um, they have a big team that rides in the PMC, Boston Fire Department does. Kristen kind of uh, did the comparison, so I'm going to do it too, and I don't, I hope there's no disrespect with that comparison. Most of those guys are all veterans actually also, and they're sure. now firemen. But, you know, they started a fund at Dana-Farber about this because they're seeing such increased rates of, of cancer diagnosis because of what they're breathing in, the equipment they have, things like that. It is, again, a group of people. Forget that they were even veterans at one point. That is enough that they should be taken care of. But they're firemen now, right? I mean, they're running into fires, right? That's always the thing you say about firemen. They, the firemen and women, right? They run into fires to save lives, save property, things like that. That sacrifice that they don't ask for anything uh, uh, for. 
But that sacrifice that they do on our behalf, you know, then they get this diagnosis and it's like, well, you got to go through the norm, like just like everybody else. There's no responsibility, as you said, um, or extra care being given. Man, I mean, you know, so they went to Dana-Farber and said, can you guys take on this study for us? We'll fund it. We'll ride. We'll fund it. But can you do it? We need someone to look at this, not just for the Boston Fire Department, but for firemen everywhere and firewomen, I should say, too. It's amazing that that has to be handled like that. And that's it, right? I always say, like, um, man, like, we didn't need the government support when we were laying down rounds, right? We didn't. We didn't need their support when we were kicking doors on high-level targets. We, we did it because it's the right thing to do. And, and nobody owes us anything we had the honor to serve. <laughs> but if they want to support the troops, they, they can support them by doing what they can to give them the care they need based off of the mistakes that they made, right? Like, we were over there. We did our job because they didn't by putting proper safety measures in place, these men and women are dying. So the least they can do is make sure that they get proper care opposed to spending their time doing damage control. Because you know what, like, what's the damage control on our end? Losing battle buddies, what is, what's an American hero's life worth? Well, we know that not only they've given so much, but to give that much more and then to have the people that should have our back the most turn their back on us is unacceptable. Is unacceptable. Once again, you know, our view with terrorism and our mission now more than ever is cancer. If you survive Iraq and Afghanistan and die because you were given inferior medical care and, and subjected to unacceptable conditions overseas, well, I don't know what to tell you, except for the fact that they're more concerned about covering down for their buddies that they put in place contractually and making sure they're not liable for this. Once again, yeah, it, we don't want anything, we don't need anything, but you know, how do you tell an American hero like my buddy, Wesley, that you know, won't see next year? Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> We know this is the case, but, um, you know, there's no, there's no recourse. Thank you for your service. You know, you're not going to make it. And if we had caught this sooner, when he was complaining about it for years to the VA, there's about a 90% chance he would have survived based off the fact they believe that they probably, if they had just given him a colonoscopy when he had asked years before, they think they could have caught it in stage one. <laughs> That, that's that's that brutal. Is, that's brutal. That is, that's a gut punch. So let's, let's talk about what we can do. The first thing is how do we get these tests done? And I don't, I don't know if you know the answer. Or I don't know the answer. Like how do we, how do we get to that next step so that when someone needs a test, they get it? I think that we need to highlight these stories more. We need to, um, spread awareness about how significant of a threat this is, right? And that's, that's talking to these men and women that have been in this position that hopefully can get through to the rest of us before it's too late. Our health isn't always a priority, especially when we come home, 
Um, definitely not in this case. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you a veteran that I fought with overseas, like that didn't, that didn't spend their existence post-war defecating blood on a regular basis. It's sad, but it's true. I had, I had the conversation with a, a few other officers the other day um, who had fought on the ground in the same era. And, you, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Me too, right? But we all say, right, it's, it's suck it up and drive on. We all come home like, you know, I was in the same boat and, you know, went in that direction and got to run around with the BA, which is like, listen, I don't want anything from anyone. I'm happy to be alive. Still have a little piece of shrapnel lodged in my chest. You know, I'd like to know if I'm going to die of cancer. I have blood every time I go to the restroom and like that. We just all accept it's the norm. Like, ah, you know what? Uh, I should have died when I got shot in 05. I didn't. This is all a bonus. They don't really care. And, um, you know, we've been through worse. What they will do, which we see like, well, they'll, uh, they'll throw a percentage at you rating wise. And, and that was the same thing you know, that my buddy had said, you know, it's kind of like misdiagnosis. Okay, well, like IBS. And he was saying, you know, I don't want a rating. Like, we don't want money. We just want proper medical care. And I think our voice needs to be heard now and moving forward that, you know, you can't just throw money at the problem, especially when you're talking about heroes' lives. Not only do we need to be more aware of this, but at-risk populations need to be screened sooner, right? That by the time they're coming of age to be screened a lot of times based off of what they've been exposed to. It's already too late. You know, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, you know, when men and women come home from fighting that, you know, they're given proper cancer screenings because of what they've been exposed to overseas. I'm assuming this also is almost the same mindset, Kurt, as, you know, what you've taken on with veteran suicide. It's also that mindset of, first of all, to know that it's there, that there's, there's, this is going on when you come back from overseas. And I'm really, I'm really treading on a topic I don't know much about. So correct me if I hit something wrong. All, all fair game. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, you don't know, yeah. you don't know this. You come back from overseas and you're happy to be alive. If you're not feeling right, whether it be mentally or physically on a certain day or even a week's time, month's time, you're almost chalking it up to this is my new normal, right? And you don't necessarily seek out help. And when you do, if the doctor says to you, oh, you're too young for that screening or, oh, you don't need to see a psychiatrist or whatever it is, you're probably like, man, I can't believe that I thought I needed this extra care. And what I, what I have read and feel good about this awareness, whether it is on the, 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 the mental health side or the physical health side, it is a big part of the battle um, of getting people to feel like, you know, it's okay that I don't feel right and I want to get checked out and I want to, I, I, I deserve to be checked out and to feel better if I can feel better. Am I, am I close on this? Listen, like spot on Bill, right? And, and that's, that's the reality of it, which is, um, you know, I always say like, if we can get, you know, if I can get a veteran in crisis that I do on a regular basis, through the doors at home base, right? Like I know there's a good chance we can save their life. Well, I know if we can get a veteran that's been exposed to this through the door at Dana-Farber, that we can hopefully give them a fighting chance before it's too late. And I I think that the problem with lack of care on our end post-war, you know, for generations, you know, people can say whatever they want, but like, we've all had bad experiences with the VA. So 
you know what? We think, let's just, you know what? Let's let it ride because what I'd rather do is just die of whatever I'm going to die of than go in there and be disrespected again and talk down to and, and, and really like to reinforce the fact that like we're expendable. I'm not a guy that ever talks about that, but um, you know, the last thing I ever wanted to do was go back into the VA after uh, what I, I had seen. And I'll give you like a quick 30 second story, but to give the background on that, I come home once again, um, I, I, when I get shot, I refuse my medevac out of country. Everyone knows, uh, continue to fight for eight more months with a hole in my chest. They legitimately say like, uh, you're going to die. There's no granulation. You need skin grafts. It's going to, it's going to get infected and you're going to die. That era, Ramadi 0506 was that bad. I didn't get deployed. I volunteered. I jumped in with another unit to fight on the ground. Guys were getting killed and I wasn't going to let them die alone. I never wanted anything. I didn't go to Germany. I didn't go to Walter Reed. They, I had refused my medevac out. You cannot do that. I did it anyways. And I have no regrets. But when I came back to the VA, I said, uh, hey, I think I still have some metal in my chest. They said, oh, no. And they were dismissive. I said, listen, I don't want anything. I'm an easy guy. I just thought if I could get a chest x-ray. Doctor was really rude, really dismissive. And then uh, gives me a chest x-ray. Still to this day, my entire chest is full of shrapnel. I have 11 pieces of shrapnel. The inside of my chest looks like a snow globe. I said to the doctor, this is over in the VA, and, and nobody knows this because I'm not that guy that ever goes public with stuff. I said, hey, doc, uh, I'm an easy guy. I'm just happy to be alive, but I know it's predominantly lead. Is this going to be an issue? And he said, we'll tackle that obstacle when we get to it, and walked out of the room. What? And, I, and I, I, I promise you, and this was over in JP. I called my wife and I said, I'm the easiest guy in the world. And I called her and I said, I just like, I cried on the phone. And I said, I just found out my entire chest is full of shrapnel. The medical diagnosis was, we'll tackle that obstacle when we get to it. The doctor seemed pissed off because I inconvenienced him because I had to get a chest x-ray to even prove it. And the only reason I knew is because a piece of shrapnel was working its way out of my chest here. So when I was passing blood for years and years and years, all of us, right? Like, I'm gonna be honest, like we all do. Did I wanna go into the VA that didn't care about my gunshot wound and then tell them, hey, yeah, like, well, uh, you know, I'm just seeing blood on a regular basis, just like these other guys. I don't want anything, but I, I'd like to know that I'm not dying here, you know? So no, I, I tell everyone like, yeah, if you had an issue, um, like most of us do, like, no, go to the subject matter experts, go, to where you'll actually, you know, not only get proper care, but be treated like a human being. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing is smoke and mirrors. It's all right. Once again, like all of us, they're over in it. Like we don't want anything. We're all just trying to process the fact that, you know, we made it when better men and women than us didn't, right? Like happy to serve wouldn't change anything. Yeah. If you're having these problems, like not only do you need to get checked, like, you need to get checked at the best possible place. And that's Dana-Farber. And that's, um, fortunately for all of us out here, it's right in our backyard. Yeah, we're very I, uh, I was going to say, I find this so infuriating. I mean, first of all, you know, that wasn't the deal, right? The deal was you serve our country and the deal is our country takes care of you. And as you were talking about the lead shrapnel, I remember... Uh, an article I read months ago about how, you know, survivors of bullet wounds also have a side effect of lead poisoning. 
because of yeah. all the lead in your body. So it's not just cancer risk that you're at, but you're at a risk for lead poisoning, which we know has all sorts of, of problems. So what can we, I, I just want to yell at somebody. So yeah. <laughs> I am not an easygoing person. I am a mama bear. Um, who do I yell at? Right? Do I yell at my senator? Do I yell at my, like, who do, what, what can we do? I know you said, like, we can't just throw money at it, which is partially an inclination I think a lot of us have, right? Like, where can we donate? Where can we, do I call I, Elizabeth Warren? Do I say, like, what are we doing? What's the plan? I'm, I'm telling you, it, it goes so deep, and I know some pretty inner circle stuff on this. It's not even, like, a Dem thing. It's not a Republican thing. Like, yeah, no. Sure, no, no, it's definitely yeah, not. Like, like they're all I'll yell at all of them. Right, no, but that's, <laughs> no, but that's it, right? Like they're all cooking the books on it because once again, they're looking at liability and numbers, right? Instead of like, no, these are human beings with lives and families that have once again like stepped up to serve. You know, if you could not look at it like a math problem for once and, and look at it as it's an honor to be able to save the life of any hero that was willing to give their life for all of us. And I think that's the important thing. And until, once again, like we get these stories out there and highlight this more, I think it's gonna be a numbers thing, right? Until we can actually make a difference by hammering the point home. Like, look, this is, Wes is like 34, right? Like decorated war hero. This guy is gonna make next year because of this. Like there needs to be, there needs to be a face to this. There needs to be awareness. And I think that's where I really, in the future, hope for more of a partnership with Pan Mass Challenge because, um, you know, not only is there credibility with all of you, but, you know, you have a voice. When I, I'm going to be honest, like, I, I feel like we don't feel like we do. We don't. I mean, that it's easy to drown out the veteran community we have to start looking at this, like I said, like, no, this isn't, you know, this isn't any particular demographic. Like, look at everything that's going on. Like, no, like anybody can be affected by cancer. Anyone right. can die of cancer. There still is not a cure. We need to do everything we can to make a difference. The best way to support an American hero, to thank them for their service, is when they do run into something like this, when they are fighting for their life and they have cancer to do what you can to make sure they make it out the other side or have the best chance possible of trying to survive after already fighting and surviving so much for all of us to live in the greatest country in the world. It's tough to think, but it's, it, it's real. I hope you know Until from, they the, acknowledge from the PMC problem, side, Kurt, I mean, it's, you know? it's, it's open arms. I don't know, I don't need to tell you that, but welcoming in riders, volunteers, people just to have conversations like this about, I mean, you hit it on the head. It, the cancer is indiscriminate. They can care less if you have an elephant or donkey, if you're black or white, if you're a man or a woman age. But I think we all feel strongly that um, care is what it's all about, proper care, proper treatment. You know, it's one of the reasons I made the move from for-profit to non-profit was that PMC passes along 100% of its rider money, raise money, directly to Dana-Farber, which is an institute, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, it's an institute that I have the utmost confidence in, not just 
from a treatment side, but every time you talk to Dana-Farber people, they talk about how it starts with the first valet you meet the day you show up there, and it goes right through to give patients, all patients, the utmost respect and try to pass along as much hope as possible, um, even through uncomfortable conversations and, and many outcomes that aren't what the person wants. But that way of, you know, treat, how people are treated, whether they're a war hero like yourself or like Wesley, who you've mentioned a few times, which obviously we give our best to, you know, to just little Susie, who's four years old and gets diagnosed with just a terrible form of cancer in, in pediatric oncology, you know, to have that respect and then to go one step further, you know, if the person's a, protected us as a war hero, man, you would think that's the bottom rung for the, the, the care that someone should, in respect, to, someone should be given. To your point, I think making sure we, we know, because you guys yeah. are quiet and yep. you're tough and you're strong and it's just, to your point, you're all sitting around talking about, you know, your bowel movements and like as normal as right. things that would horrify me making sure that we know, you know, so that we can help sh amplify those voices, that we can help share those stories so that we can, and you know, at the end of the day, beyond a numbers game, it is numbers, but to flip that number, I'm a parent of a 17 year old and we've been talking about college, military. I'm going to tell you when I thought about him joining the military, higher risk of cancer was never something I worried right. about, right? Like, right. of course I would worry about his safety and whether or not, you know, it would be the right choice for him and whether he would make it home. But I certainly never thought, and will 30 years from now, he die of cancer? Not something that I think any of us, I thought about. Um, and certainly something that if more of us thought about, then our all volunteer military would really, it would start to suffer, I think, right? Because- certainly. It shouldn't be a life sentence right. um, to, to, to defend our country and to defend our freedoms. Um, so I think- And the crazy part, Kristen, is these people, you know, <laughs> they're willing to take that risk, right? They're willing to take right. it, volunteer to take that risk. It's just about like, okay, if there's a, first of all, to get into the Nedlet, that part, it, it, it's hard to just bypass it because that's such a huge role, right? the the what happens there and chemicals used and well I'm, I'm trying to skip over that which is kind of silly of me right because it's such a beat world so you know when they get back when people get back that that lifetime on the battlefield analogy is really stuck with me about there's there's still it's still the same person man or woman who went and served overseas, or maybe didn't go overseas, to Kurt's point. Maybe they were in the U.S. the whole time, but still protecting us, right? How that care is not, does not carry with them through their life, just like everything they did carries with them through their life. It seems almost too simple. I mean, I, I hope this conversation opens some eyes. I know how much I wanted to have it. I hope the PMC community listens to this and it has, it has the same, it resonates with them the same way. I, you know, this is the first time I've kind of been at a loss for words in any of these interviews and I'm not overplaying it. <laughs> well, and I think um, I'd love to see more veterans get involved with the Pan Mass Challenge. I know I'd be honored to ride 
with any of them. I always say, you know, people know about 3% of what I actually do in the veteran community and I like it that way. Right. But not only do we have an obligation to do what we can to make the world a better place for the men and women that didn't make it home, but I always say like, especially with what we're dealing with from a PTSD and TBI standpoint and positive energy is contagious, right? So not only having the gratification of knowing that you're going out to make a difference with something like this, but being surrounded by so many positive people at an event like the Pan Mass Challenge, I think can change your outlook entirely, not only on the world, but for a lot of our heroes post-war. You have a tendency to see the world in a negative light after coming home from combat, but to know there are still good people out there and trying to make a difference in the bravery of you know, the men and women that are fighting for their lives over in Dana-Farber and knowing that like every day above ground's a good day. Once again, we're all in this together. So as we uh, wrap this up, I could talk to you all day. Me too. Um, to maybe take it back to a personal level, how do you and your wife, that you mentioned, how do you cope with that kind of risk that's hanging over your head that, that you might be the next to get that cancer diagnosis? It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's hard to even process. I, I'll be completely honest. Nobody knows. Once again, like my wife knows. I, um, right. No, I always kind of just assumed that I was going to die from that or the lead in my chest within a few years of coming home. Like I didn't even expect to make it period. Just like anything, it's easier to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, I was never scared overseas, but the idea of it, I, it does scare me and it scares a lot of us. And I think not only talking about it, but admitting that like that, that's all right. It's, it's all right to be scared Cancer, you know, there's no greater danger as far as, right? Like, hey, I, I, I would, you could have you dropped me in anywhere and I would have been confident that I would have, uh, I would have come out unscathed. But I think that, you know, cancer is the one word almost in this, in this world that everyone hears and then uh, stops dead in their tracks. You know, we need to talk about it more. We need to do more as far as getting you know, proper care, but also having the discussion, right? Like, no, we are not, right? Like we made it home, but we are not invincible and that we have to do what we can to not only acknowledge these problems exist, but to address them so we can catch them sooner than later and, and you know, hopefully make it through. And I think that's important that um, until we start going in and getting checked and and taking this seriously, no different than the mentality overseas, then, um, you know, we're going to continue to lose that many more American heroes. Well, I think on that note, well, I have to say, um, I want to thank, it feels inadequate to just say thank you. I want to thank you and your wife for your service not just while you were overseas, but even now to the, to the veterans and to the city. And, uh, and thank you for coming on the show. No, well, you know what? Um, no thank you necessary. 100% totally an honor. And like I said, um, you know, would definitely love to get a team of, you know, veterans together to ride um, one, of the, uh, one of the upcoming PMCs. And uh, thank you, both of you, for everything you do.
really appreciate it. Real honor to be here today. Yeah, it was, I really appreciate you coming on, Kurt. And on a, on a much lighter note, um, I am sure Kristen would be happy to uh, give some riding and training tips if you put a few people together and decide to say, decide I'm to not ride. A veteran, but I would love to ride with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I'll look like a big a big bear on a tricycle at the, <laughs> at, the, uh, at the circus. But um, no, I mean it. I think I think it's good. I think the positive energy aspect is great, and I think it's it's amazing what you do. Right? Not only is it an amazing event, I think it would be a heck of an accomplishment for anyone that can complete it. Yeah. And please keep us posted. You know, as developments come up, you know, there's nothing saying we can't do follow ups and things like that. It really was it was it was an honor to talk to you about this. And thanks for being so candid and, um, you know, just putting it out there. I think a lot of people will find this uh, incredibly eye opening and, and, and very interesting. And hopefully that'll cause some action or at least some awareness and uh, get the ball rolling a little bit, maybe maybe more than it is currently. Okay, we're back. Um, so as we said, we recorded this a couple of days ago. I've been trying to unpack everything I learned and uh, my anger level has been up and down. Um, yeah. I but, mean, there's the hope uh, that comes through, right? From him, oh, so he's so positive. But as I was editing, like my anger level also just through the roof. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think what's important to reinforce is that, um, and he said it, this is, this is uh, this generation's Agent Orange. This isn't a right. new issue for our military. And that's why in many ways, when I was, when we were interviewing him, I was both completely, you know, surprised and, 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 and struck by it and also completely unsurprised right, because right. you know if you've read enough about the VA if you've read enough about the funding and the challenges that they have and and I offer this not as excuse but just it's not surprising right. um, and I think anyone who's had to work with the VA whether it's a current soldier or someone who maybe you know my grandfather is still around and we still work with the VA on his behalf um, know the challenges um, yeah, but and he from was, the other side, I mean, man, doesn't it make you proud to, to raise money for Dana-Farber? Just the way he yeah. talks about Dana-Farber for both himself, the community he's in, his, his friend Wesley. Um, it, it's yep. it, the reputation, you know, obviously everyone knows the care and everything, but just the, the respect portion came shining through. It really did. And the more we can do to figure out how we can support our you know our troops both during their service and after their service and you know really also what struck me was the importance of early diagnosis you know and we talk about it all the time but there right. he is with his his friend really pointing out that if just one person if there had been one thing that could have been changed and someone could have gotten you know he could have gotten that colonoscopy that right. that this could have been a whole different story and um, that really struck me, you know, and I think you very hard that yes. you think about something that's so preventable um, and how we make sure that, that they don't, you know, I, to hear him talk about how they're just sitting around with these crazy symptoms that the rest of us would just be horrified by. And they're all yes. like, well, you know, oh, you too? Okay, then I no. must be fine. No, none of you are fine. It goes to the fact of the the strength and courage of those women and men who serve and, you know, I just, you know, you always thank you. You want to say thank you. You mean the thank you. I wish there was something else to say. Um, I, I hope 
listening to this um, and having Kurt on inspires in some way, whether it be awareness or just one person going in for an early test or writing a letter or encouraging a veteran to get involved um, from a point of, we got you, like, come on, join us. Like, we got you, right? Um, he's just such a wonderful guy too, you know, it's such serious subject matter. But in, in a weird way, it was also just like delightful to talk to him. He's so positive. Oh, he was great. I'm following him on the Twitter now. <laughs> right. So, and he just followed me back. I was like, wow, oh, that's big. Anything to embarrass myself. I think I'm still pending. <laughs> <laughs> Only know. kidding, Kurt. Only kidding. Um, but that was so great. I think and, that was great. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt, again. And uh, Kristen, you did an awesome job in this one. You always do. But um, I know, you know, I'll give you a little side note to people who are listening to this. I forgot to send Kristen um, Kurt's bio. <laughs> so she knew who he was, but not really in any depth. And um, she handled it like a, a complete pro that she is. So thank you, Kristen. Aww. I'll make sure I get your bios <laughs> early. I promise. That would be great. Hey, you're the one who has to edit this madness. <laughs> anyway. No, it was an honor. I, this well, one's an honor. You know, I was going through editing and I'm like, man, this is a lot of editing. I'm like, really? I'm going to complain about that after this interview. So I'm okay. I sucked it up. Exactly. Just putting it, it puts, again, puts it all in perspective. Right. Um, anyway, let's, I think it's time to wrap this up. Yes. Um, for show notes, links to read more, um, maybe link to Kurt Power on Twitter. Um, you can visit the pmc.org slash podcast. Yeah. And if you like this one or any of our podcasts, please share them with friends. We recommend three. Two's okay. Four's better. Um, but please share them. Get the word out. And um, remember, there's a lot riding on us. There's a lot riding on us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.